0: We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. And today I'm going to share with you some thoughts that I had about a passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. And uh, the spring springboard of this conversation, these thoughts, are going to be about abortion. So let's dive right in. Well, actually, before we dive right into it, let me go to the comments and say my hellos. I'm so thankful that you all are here and tuned in. Uh, we typically have a very good podcast, a very good crowd, rather. I'm hoping it's a good podcast. I'm assuming it's a good podcast because we have a good crowd. Uh, but anyway, that's all I've got here about that. Let's go to the comment section. What is going on, folks? Um, good to see everybody. Uh, looks like Jonathan was having some issues with connection, and uh, it was it was pretty rough the last minutes that I got to to be here, of course. Aaron Dotson and I, running the same program, had some connection error this morning, but that was because of I was hooked up to the wrong Wi-Fi. I am hooked up to the correct Wi-Fi this evening, and I'm pretty sure we're going to have a much better time of it. Uh, good evening, Scott Wall. Hello, uh, Dinah Harden. Good to see you. And uh, Gwen Cooper, good evening. And Katie Smith, good to see you. Leslie Jordan, uh, Scott Beck, yes, all is well. We are hmm we are slowly getting over whatever this is that has been affecting us for the last two or three weeks. Um, it's been rough. I'm about I'm about 80 85 uh, percent. my wife is probably 65 70 percent and my two children they' they're they're back to 100 um, percent. but we do have a few members of the congregation that's still pretty pretty sick. Uh, Gita, yes, we're we're close to fully recovered. Hello, Connie Barton, It's good to see you here. Hello, yes, Sue Ross. I believe the reception will be better. Hello, Jonathan Exum. good to see you. And of course, as always, Terry Purdy is watching with multiple people on one device. That's just amazing. And uh Mercy, good mercy, good to see you. I always want to put a little French on that mercy, but it's mercy, as I was told. And uh, good evening, and uh, everyone. Good evening, brother Tony, and everyone pondering the word tonight. Yes, I am feeling better. Thank you very much, Henry McClure. Thank you for your prayers. We covet your prayers, and I want you to pray for the work over here in New Brunswick. It's going really, really well, and uh, man, we're just we're just rolling right along. Um, yeah, I can't say enough good work, good things about the work over here in the church and all that good stuff. Anyway. Uh, so let me just dive right into this. Um, again, this week, I had something prepared, but I was watching an old uh, television show that, I don't know, I think it was back in 2004 is when it first aired. It's called Cold Case Files. And what happens is the, the show premise is about a detective, and she specializes in cases that are, you know, sometimes 60 years old. And she goes back and she reevaluates these cases. And, of course, she solves them because it's a, it's a television show. And season one, episode 16, entitled Volunteers, y'all, I'm not going to lie to you. It just about reeled me in. So the city was doing some demolition, and they uncovered a plastic bag with bodies. And, of course, the, re- the, the plastic bag, although the, the biological, the, the flesh decayed, the, the, the clothing and stuff like that was preserved because it was in a plastic bag. Now, they started um, investigating this. They got some leads. They found a car that was, that was uh, dumped in the river. And this was way back in the 60s is whenever these people were murdered. And what these two people were, this man and this woman, they were volunteers uh, liaising in this big city. I can't remember what big city it is. Uh, They were liaising with uh, women who were pregnant and they were getting them abortions. They They were acting as a middle point, a contact point, for these young women who wanted to have abortions but did not want to go to these back alley butchers that would perform abortions with bicycle spokes or coat hangers or anything like that and i've got to tell you the way it was framed and the way it was acted and the way everything was presented it makes you very um it makes you very sympathetic to these women who are wanting these abortions. And, and it's almost like you forget that this represents women who want to kill their children, and they want to kill them out of convenience. Now, make no mistake about it. Now, It, it shouldn't be that a, a doctor or a, a wannabe doctor uh, performs a, an abortion or any kind of medical procedure in anything other than a sterile operating room, with all of the latest medical technology available to them, in other words, you shouldn't—you know—it ought to be illegal for you to have these back alley procedures. There's no no doubt about that. That's evil. But if it weren't for the fact that these women uh, were pregnant and they were having sex out of wedlock, and wanting to kill their baby out of convenience and sacrifice their child on the altar of, I want to go to college, or I want to have a career, then there wouldn't even be a need for a show, and there wouldn't be a need for an underground like this. And it got me to thinking about Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. And of course, we all know what it says, but I'm going to read it for us. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now listen, I know I know abortion is a hot topic, and it's not necessarily abortion that I want to talk about tonight. It's this idea of calling evil good and good evil, of extolling the virtue of evil things, and, and yes, out of self-centeredness. You got that right. And hello, Debbie Mangus. It's good to see you. Um, and I feel for these women, I really do. I mean, they've been sold a bill of goods. You know, I just started the uh, Christianity Now Facebook page, and I so I shared a video from YouTube. Um, and the video is a heathen, or not uh, not YouTube, but TikTok. The video is a heathen who is talking about why a man would not want to be romantically involved with a woman who has a past. Of being promiscuous, now we're not just picking on women here, but um, it, it is the case that that feminism has lied to these worldly women, and these worldly women have bought a bill of goods, and they're they're sad, they're they're depressed, they're not they're they they don't live fulfilled lives because what they do is they they are taught to value masculine things. And then they, you know, instead of getting married and and, and rearing children and stuff like that, uh, they graduate high school. Uh, they spend four years in college. They spend three years at a at a specialty school, and they get a career. And by the time they "quote unquote" settle down in their thirties, they don't have enough fertile years to rear a family. They don't have enough time left. They they. They're pushing up against the wall, as it were, where if we do what the Bible says and we allow the leadership in our congregations to teach older men and older women to teach them what to teach the younger men and younger women and the younger women are to be taught how to be, be obedient to their own husbands and rear their children, and serve the Lord of gravity, and all that good stuff. Uh, if if we don't allow that to happen, this this situation is going to perpetuate, and we're going to have all of these problems. But it makes me think, why? how did we get here in the first place? I think it's because for too long, we have allowed um, the pseudo-virtue of non-virtuous things to be extolled. and let's let's take let's take something as seemingly innocuous as the movie Maleficent. Do you remember the movie Maleficent that was put out by the Disney Channel? It is the backstory of the witch, the the evil witch, in uh, Sleeping Beauty. Listen, those old stories are told to communicate archetypes. They are supposed to be one-dimensional. They are children's stories. This is not supposed to be abstract. They're not supposed to be multifaceted. Why? Because children to whom you tell these stories are not equipped to deal with multidimensional, multifaceted, abstract concepts like every everybody's got a backstory. No. You need to teach your children at a very early age that is evil. That is good. And this I mean, the character is named Maleficent. She is named evil. And yet this this Disney movie came out and made this character maleficent a sympathetic character. It's in essence it teaches children to call evil, to literally call evil good. So in other words, it's not okay to judge her anymore because, look, wouldn't you act that way too? Now, that concept is a good concept to discuss for adults, but children are not ready for that. You don't take children and set them down in front of their entertainment and allow these one-dimensional archetypal characters to be shown in a multifaceted multidimensional abstract kind of way because what you're doing they they can't take this in and they actually end up learning to call evil good and good evil and it seems so harmless and you don't have to wonder this is not a conspiracy theorist and it's not a conspiracy theory the the people behind this type of entertainment and such, they are telling you what they are doing. For instance, uh, the Disney movie Frozen with Anna and Elsa, when it first came out, I talked about this. I said, mark my words, Disney knows exactly what they're doing putting a lesbian couple in their Disney princess lineup. And everybody was like, Tony, that's crazy. That's not true. That's uh, that, That's not a lesbian couple. They're brother, I mean, they're they're siblings. They're they're blood sisters. That's not a lesbian couple. You're right. It's not. But remember, little kids do not pick up on nuance and abstractness. They just see the optics. So, what do the little girl see that has two mommies? She sees Prince Charming and um, well. Prince Charming and 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 Rose, they or well, I guess all of the princes are called Prince Charming, I guess. But they see Aladdin and Jasmine, they see uh, Snow White and her prince, they see Briar Rose or Aurora and her prince. All of the Disney princesses, they see Ariel and Eric, they see all of these heterosexual represent representative couples in the princess lineup. And then now, standing up on stage, going down the street in the parade with all of these heterosexual representative couples, you have Anna and Elsa. Oh, but Tony, they're, they're sisters. Doesn't matter. My I, I, whenever Whenever my daughter was three years old, she wanted to marry me. She didn't understand. Little children don't pick up on things like that. The optics is what's important. And it wasn't but very long after Frozen came out that the people at Disney actually said one of the reasons we did this movie Frozen and did Anna and Elsa, and we love this story, is because it breaks the norm and we can show a same sex couple representation. In our Disney Princess lineup, that a little girl who has two mommies can see, look, there is something that looks like what I see on a daily basis. You see, these people are calling evil good and good evil, and they are taking the. That's it. Disney did the same thing in Lightyear, and and they're they're not hiding the ball. Okay, now we need to be. We need to learn how to discern, and we need to learn what we, you know, think about Ephesians chapter 5. I want to leave my marker at Isaiah chapter 5, and we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to make a point from Ephesians 5. You probably know where I'm going. This is verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Now. Think about this. If you, you, know, you, you, you go out in your backyard, everybody's very familiar with their backyard, and I'm going to give you $1,000 if you can go from one side of your backyard to the other. Just walk from one side of your backyard to another. All right, you're thinking, Tony, there's no way I would turn that down. You're right, you wouldn't. But now we're going to do it at night with a blindfold, Would you walk from one side of your backyard to the other for $1,000? Well, depending on how your backyard is set up, you'd be like, yeah, of course I would. All right. Wouldn't you walk a little differently? Because you'd be blindfolded, it'd be at night, and you wouldn't be able to see as well. But then let's add something else. Now, for $1,000, you have to be blindfolded at night, walk from one side of your backyard to the other, And I have hidden five landmines that if you step on them, it's going to blow up and kill you. Would you still, you may say, no, I'm not doing that. That's crazy. What if I said for $10 million? You mean all I got to do is walk from one side of my backyard to the other for $10 million? Yes. Don't you think that you would walk very, very differently knowing that those landmines are there than you would if you were just strolling on a bright, sunny day. You see, you need to walk circumspectly, circum-looking around, or around, circular, circular, speckly, that spectacle. Walk when you're looking around. Don't be like a fool. Don't put your head in the sand. Don't put blinkers on. Incidentally, you know, these are not blinders on horse or blinkers. Blinders actually blind. Don't walk like you got blinkers on. Don't walk like you got blinders on either. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't fall into the trap of calling evil good and good evil. And and the world is good at it. Like I said, even even me that my my mind is kind of tuned this way and I'm and I and I like analyzing these kind of things and everything. I found myself being very sympathetic to the plight of these women in the 1960s that were trying to get abortions. And all of these women that they found that this doctor did abortions for, th- the reason they were getting abortions because they had sex out of wedlock, they were, they were pregnant, and they wanted to do things like get a job, go to school. They wanted to move off. One woman said, I didn't want this baby to... Uh, to 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 tie me down to two square miles, meaning in that city, there are people that 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 never travel out of about a two square mile area. And she said, if I had a baby at that age, I would look, I wouldn't be a college professor now. Folks, that's that's one of the reasons why we're in the shape we're in, and it's because we haven't been we didn't walk circumspectly. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, we took ourselves out of the culture. We may be just as sequestered as the Amish. Think about what the Amish do. The Amish don't participate in culture. They they share the same values as us, the Christian values. But they, they've taken themselves completely out of the culture. Well, I think maybe we have done that because... Whenever somebody like me stands up and says, hey, maybe you don't need to let your three-year-old daughter watch Anna and Elsa and buy into that imagery. Maybe you don't let your five- or six-year-old son or daughter watch Maleficent and buy into the idea that there's always an explanation for evil and that we shouldn't be judgmental of, of certain things. Because that's the message, and that's... they." The powers that be behind those two uh, pieces of intellectual property, they said that's the reason. They said that was the message. You don't have to guess. Let's look at the let's look at the comment section here. yeah they they have been taught to value themselves above everything else. You got that right. And of course, Scott said D- Disney did the same thing with Lightyear. And uh Deborah O'Neill says they know if they make it cute and put the right music in the right place, you won't notice what's going on, but listen to it without watching it. It's not the same movie. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Hello, Missy Malone, good to see you. Yeah, they want it to appear normal, to make it appealing. And uh good evening, Charlene Gray. And Deborah O'Neill, you're exactly right. That woman in the in the episode. She had the same opportunity to be a college professor with or without a baby. And uh, yeah, they chose to go to any length so their life would not be interrupted. And what is being taught to us today is we can't simply say that is evil behavior. We can't do it. Well, it's evil. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. And we're going to go finish that context here in a minute. But I wanted to talk about this idea of walking circumspectly. We need to be aware of what's going on. We don't need to remove ourselves. I can't remember where I heard this. You don't need to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. We need to know what's out there we as parents need to make ourselves aware of the messaging and the reason that these kinds of uh, content is being made so we can we can call a bunch of it, you know? But anyway, I guess let's go on back to uh, Isaiah chapter 5 and let's take a look at this. Hold on just a second. Let me change up something here. All right, now, Isaiah 5, I'm just going to read a few verses here. Yeah, Connie, I saw that as well. Connie says, I saw an actress brag about having had two abortions so she could further her career. Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of that. All right, woe to them that call evil good and good evil, and that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. Incidentally, how in the world with this particular woe? Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. How can you look at that verse and think it's okay to drink alcoholic beverage for social reasons. Anyway, that doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about. I just thought I'd throw that in there. All right. So 23, chapter 5, verse 23 of Isaiah, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Folks, that is virtue signaling and cancel culture. If you're the person in the school, for there, not too many days ago there was an 11-year-old kid that stood up in a city in a in a school board meeting and said I just want to read to you from a book that I was able to check out from the library and it was a word picture it was a story of two children having gay sex two 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 young boys and it was very graphic and I You would be offended if I played it for you right here. And here's what the little boy said. He's 11. He said, when I checked this out, now I'm only 11. The book said it's for 13 and up, but I'm only 11. But I was allowed to check this out. And the teacher told me that if I would like, I could check out the graphic novel version of this book. That instead of telling the story in words, it told the story in pictures. Well, can that's pornography. That is full-blown pornography. Now, if you are the one that stands against this, you are the one, you will have your righteousness stripped from you by these school board officials. You will have your righteousness stripped from you by these people in power. Because why? They are calling evil good, and they're calling good evil, and they're doing it for pay. They're doing it because they're being paid to do so. I, 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 know, I know that it, the, the, the country, the nation of Israel, is not an analog to the United States, but I think I would be remiss, and we would be great fools. If we could not see the similarities, what brought the nation of Israel down? It's the same thing that's bringing the United States down. Righteousness exalts a nation. Are we saying that that's not true today? We have to be careful. We have to be able to, that's it, Scott, listen. Listen. Whenever I just, my my son's 19, my daughter's 18, whenever we decided to homeschool, it was not mainstream. And we got so much pushback, so much, so much pushback from Christians to the point where I went before the church and I said, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say it one time. I'm going to do what's good for me. And mine, you do what's good for you and yours by virtue of the fact that I'm doing what's good for me and mine, and it's not what you're doing for you and yours. I cannot help how that makes you feel. Homeschooling is what we've decided to do. And I don't care, quite frankly, what you do with your children, short of starving them or beating them, as long as you're not physically hurting them. You handle your business, I'll handle mine. And I'm not going to talk about this anymore. And I don't want to hear anybody else weigh in on what I'm going to do with my children. I know we've been told that it takes a village to raise a child. But let me tell you something. If you do that, you're going to come up with a village idiot. You've got to be real careful about your village if you let the village raise the child. Our state just passed a bill banning all books uh, like that from our libraries, and the gay community is in an uproar, but it is passed. Credit to our new governor, yes. I am so happy that Arkansas, um, man, I can't think of her name now. Oh, well, I'm glad that she's there, though. Uh, Scott Walsh says, we need to know what the will of the Lord is. As Brother Eric mentioned in his lesson, the devil is the ruler of this world and wants the world to be ignorant of the word of God, so evil will rule in the devil's kingdom. And Deborah O'Neill says, I was homeschooling before it was cool. My preacher gave me pushback on it. His daughter grew up and homeschooled her children. He changed his mind. At Sarah Huckabee, thank you very much. Absolutely, Deborah, absolutely. Yeah, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Yeah, I really liked her. And bless her heart, as the as the press secretary under... um under Donald Trump, she had a dog dinner, a dog's dinner, didn't she? And I like Trump, but he was probably one of the worst presidents we've ever had as far as public relations go. Um, but this is not a political podcast. We're not going to talk any more about that. Um, but, yeah. Oh, good night there, Christine Woodall. So check this out. Whenever we decided to homeschool our children, I actually had some people talk to me about it uh, and and was like, well, you know, what are you going to do about things like school dances and proms and stuff like that? I'm like, I wouldn't let them go to school dances and proms anyway. Well, don't don't you want them to be just a little bit popular? And it just made me facepalm. I said, "No. I don't want my children to be popular with the world. Why would read the New Testament? Read any page of the New Testament and tell me that you can come away" With thinking it's a good idea for your children to be popular with the children of the world. We cannot call evil good and good evil. We cannot do this. And I I know it was kind of mean, but I was fed up at this point. One person I said, Look, I see your grown children. I don't want my children to turn out like yours. So you don't have anything else to say to me about how I rear my children, ever. That's right. It seems to me that our culture went downhill when public schools became mainstream. You know, actually, uh, Katie, our culture went downhill whenever we allowed the government to take over our public school system. Connie Barden says, that is something that needs to be taught more from the pulpit, that many school functions are not good. Yes, the only problem, Connie, is if you teach it from the pulpit as a preacher, you get fired. It's a moving sermon. You preach about that, and then you have to move. That's why I think more preachers ought to be elders at a congregation, and it ought ought to be written in a contract that they cannot be fired except for very specific circumstances. And Scott Walsh says, I wouldn't either, brother. We are not to fashion ourselves according to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is the good and acceptable perfect will of God? That's it. That is it. And Diana says, uh, we've had members of our congregation ask why my children, or my kids, weren't a part of the crowd. I said, because that's not what our goal is. You got that right. You got that right. And Holly Hamilton, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Holly, you know, I mentioned that from the pulpit one time about friendship from, and I was talking about friendship evangelism, and I actually quoted an old venerable gospel preacher from northeast Arkansas. And I said, you know, friendship evangelism is all well and good, until it turns into all friendship and no evangelism. I said, you cannot be friends with the world. We have to evangelize, and we have to bring people to a point where they either have to reject the gospel, or they have to obey the gospel. And if we're doing our jobs and we bring them to that point, do you think that you're going to be friends with them very long? And I talked about friendship with the world as being enmity with God. And I had four or five members of the church come back and say, you're just wrong. You don't need to be like that. That's mean. How do you think we can win anybody to Christ if we can't be friends with them? And I'm like, maybe you need to take more of just a surface hearing of what I'm saying. Maybe you need to chew on this just a little bit. Maybe you need to think about what you're affirming by what you're saying. Jesus sat with the scornful. He sat with the sinners. He didn't do it to put his stamp of approval on them. He did it so he could call them to repentance. And guess what? If they didn't repent, he didn't maintain the relationship. Ooh, Lord, that'd get me fired up in a heartbeat. That's right. When we lost prayer in school, things went south as well. But I think it was bad before that. I think there was already an environment. Like, why was the environment, why was the culture cultivated to such a point where we could even lose prayer in school? I think it's because Christians got the idea that they needed to be nice rather than be kind. Scott Beck said, yeah, awesome, Connie. Our preacher is one of our elders. That's good. I, I that, that is good. Um, yeah, I think it needs to be. A lot of people say a preacher shouldn't be an elder. I really think the most effective gospel preacher you can have at a congregation would be one of the elders. I really do. Because if if not, he's looked at too much like a hired hand. Um, Scott Beck says, I shouldn't have to tell a school board that it's wrong to have drag queens talking to elementary school kids about sex. Man, there's like 19 different layers of mess there. I can't even unpack it all, but I I agree wholeheartedly with you. Scott Walsh says, the world teaches us nothing but to be like the world. You got that right. And Diana says, my family was bullied for not following the crowd in the congregation or in society. Our kids made fun, other kids made fun of my kids for their Bible knowledge and projects to help others. That's it. You know, I was, it was in preaching school. And I was over somebody's house. We were at a function where a bunch of us were over there. And there was a football game playing, and one of the members of Forest Hill Church of Christ asked me about the football game or something. I said, I don't even know who's playing. And he ridiculed me because I didn't watch football. And maybe I shouldn't have done it, but I just looked at him and I said, Well, I don't know anything about football, but why don't we have a Bible trivia contest? You see, I I know about the Bible. I I don't know anything about it. Now, it's not, if you look, if you know a lot about football, I, I'm not I'm not talking about you. I'm not. You have you've never ridiculed, as far as I know, a man that doesn't know anything about football. But my my point was, you're ridiculing me for not knowing anything about football, and all football players and all football games could cease from existence, and your eternity would not be affected. Friendship with the world's enmity with God. It did shut him up, Connie. And I got the reputation for being somebody that's not nice. But I don't care. I kind of wear that with a, as a badge of honor now. Deborah O'Neill says, that's the dumbest thing someone can, can come, someone can come up with to say against home education. If my first grader is good enough to evangelize his classmates, He's good enough to stand up in the pulpit pulpit and preach. Ooh, Lord, yeah. Yeah, that's that's so so crazy that people that are against homeschooling, they say, well, how can your child, like, do you not care about the souls of those other children? Man, my child's not a soldier yet. I'm not going to send my child to public school to evangelize, just like I'm not going to send my child to the front lines of a battlefield to be a warrior. That's it. Full time sports are taking families away from the Lord. Yes, and there's nothing inherently evil about sports. It's just you got to be careful. about where your priorities lie, Lay Williams. Hello, everyone. Have a blessed day. She must be getting off for the evening. It is kind of late, Diana. That means a lot to me. She says so proud of the hard stances you take. I appreciate it. All right. Um. Oh man, y'all. I've, my my train has thoroughly de. Oh, never mind. Sorry, I couldn't remember where I was going. I'm going to go to Romans chapter 1, and I want to notice something. This, this falls into calling evil good and good evil, and um, and we got to be careful what we put our stamp of approval on. This is the very last verse of Romans chapter 1, and when I realized the ramifications and the extent of this verse, it was a little bit later in life. And it gave me chill bumps, okay, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them, all right? So we all know, we all know what is being talked about here. It's this long laundry list of bad things that they were doing in the long ago. And then Paul says, and not only this, that not only do these people do these things, they take pleasure in the people that are doing these things. Now, typically, the way I thought about this is someone who, like, we'll take, we'll take homosexual behavior, okay? Typically, the way I would think about this, and I'm assuming I'm not the only one, is, well, I, I'm not one who takes pleasure in those that do such things because when I see a homosexual couple embraced in a kiss or holding hands or something like that, I don't swell with pride. I don't take pleasure in it. In fact, it kind of kind of turns me off. I'm kind of sickened by that. It's, there, there's a disgust response. So that's not talking about me. Well, it might be talking about me. Let me tell you. I'm going to read the verse again. Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. The pleasure you have in evil behavior might not be a sense of pride or satisfaction that evil behavior is taking place. The pleasure you take in it might be simply standing idly by and holding your place in society because you haven't spoken out against it. In other words, you might be on the school board, and and you you might not take any pleasure in this trans agenda or this LGBTQ agenda, but the pleasure you take may be keeping your position on the school board and just not saying anything. So the pleasure you take may be social status. If that is the case, and you die in that condition, you're going to burn in the same hell as the people who practice such. That's why it is so important for us to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, understanding what the will of the Lord is. That's why it's very important for us to, through use, have our senses exercised to the discernment of good and evil. We have to be able to recognize this. It doesn't matter what kind of package it's wrapped up in. It doesn't matter if it's wrapped up in a package like this cold case television program did in 2004. It doesn't matter if it's wrapped up like Anna and Elsa, or it doesn't matter if it's wrapped up like the movie movie Maleficent. It doesn't matter if it's wrapped up like Buzz Lightyear, the movie, and in countless other pieces of entertainment nowadays. We cannot take pleasure. the, The pleasure we take cannot be standing idly by and not at least vocalizing against it. Do they even see that it's their children who don't live in the real world? Oh, man, that's rough. Yeah, it's a good, good comment there. Mercy said, I wish I had been able to homeschool Dom. Uh, Dom Christian School was not ideal either. Hey, listen, um, not everybody's able to homeschool. Homeschooling in today's world is optimal, but if you cannot homeschool, then you need to be an involved parent. all right? You're not gonna you're, even homeschooling, you're not gonna you're not going be able to insulate your child from every single thing. In fact, just about everything I've talked about tonight in this podcast, it, it's not was not from school. It was what your child would be exposed to in the world, not not necessarily in the school system. So just understand that you know you, yeah you didn't homeschool your children but you know what you did the best you could and I would from what I know of you I dare say that you were not a an absent parent that you were you were involved in your life in the life of your children rather so anyway that's just my two cents there um I don't want anybody to have a retroactive sense of failure um and and I've I've, I've talked to people who do and I'm like look you did the best you could with what you had, you know? That's a good point. A lot of people don't know that they can homeschool. A lot of people look at it and they're overwhelmed, and that's that's why it's really good to be a part of Facebook. group. This is where social media comes in. If, if you have young children and you're thinking about this, but you think you can't homeschool, then sign up on Facebook To be a part of some homeschooling groups and stuff like that. Talk to parents who are currently involved in homeschooling. (laughs) Scott Beck. And I got to run up and get some other comments, but I like this one. I'm still trying to keep my kids in a bubble and they are both adults. Ain't that the truth? Uh, Yes. And I guess you'll do that till the day you die. And there's nothing wrong with it, by the way. I don't know if my tone properly conveyed that. Sometimes my tone and my face don't convey what I'm feeling. LaBeth Lebeth gets on me all the time. She says, "Tony, sometimes when you tell the congregation that you're so proud of them and you love them, your face doesn't communicate that. You have a very stern look on your face." She says, "You need to learn how to soften up your, soften up your, your your features." Um. Yeah, Connie Barton says, that's where parents are not doing what they should by speaking out against many of the things being taught in our schools today. You got that. You got that right. And uh, Katie Smith says, you can put whipped cream and sprinkles on excrement, but it's still excrement. It reminds me of a show called uh, Tommy Boy, and he's selling brake pads, and the guy says, well, are your brake pads guaranteed? And Tommy Boy, the, the point where he learns to become a good salesman, he said, look, I can poop in a box, and I can slap a guarantee on that box, but what do you have? You just have guaranteed poop. Anyway, um, Scott, uh, Scott Wall says, uh, both of my daughters homeschool, and I'm thankful for it. Amen. And uh, Leslie O'Jordan says amen to that. I don't know what I said, but I'm thankful for the amen. And Deborah O'Neill says, if you think you can't, Find an older veteran schooler. We are the kind of people who want to see everyone succeed. If we can't help you, we'll find someone who can. And Mercy said, That's true. Mine, talking about her children, her child, is 38. That's it. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't understand this whenever I was growing up, but my daughter's 18. My son's 19, about to turn 20. And um, a lot of times I still think of them as. Those little bitty cotton top children that used to follow me around while I was feeding horses and tending the tending horses and stuff. Anyway, this is this podcast. I think I'm done, y'all. Um, remember, speak out against this stuff. Don't stand idly by and let these things happen. Uh, you do not have to just take this stuff lying down. And uh, I'll I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to end by reading a post from Facebook by a friend of mine named Preston Silcox. And I think this goes along really, really well with what we've been talking about tonight. Listen to this. I realize this analogy will crash quickly and crash hard. But hang on and hear me out. If you are a passenger in a car that is intentionally being assaulted by other vehicles, might you sustain injuries along with the driver of your car? And if the driver of your car, due to his location in the vehicle, is sustaining the most harm, would it not follow that the closer you are to the driver, the more serious your injuries will likely be? The church is the vehicle, the driver is Christ, you are the passenger, and this is the reason why most people do not, in fact, want Jesus to take the wheel. Why would anyone in their right mind get into a car that is the target of weird, potentially deadly vehicular assaults? They jump in because their reality is the anti-type of a Mad Max sequel, and that vehicle with its driver is the only hope they have of escaping certain death. So get in and be mindful of how close you set to the driver. This will hurt. And that makes me think of Paul's words to Timothy. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Folks, this is not going to be easy. If we're going to live the way we're going to live, we're going to sacrifice some things. We're going to be ostracized by our friend groups. We're not going to be friends with the world. We're going to have enmity with the world. But I would rather have enmity with the world and friendship with God than to have enmity with God and friendship with the world. Remember, let us not call evil good and good evil, no matter what kind of whipped cream and sprinkles is put on it. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you so much for your comments. And be sure and subscribe to the Cogitations podcast. That's it. It's a great analogy by Preston. In fact, let me do this. Preston, I'm sorry, but I'm going to copy and paste your stuff. My suggestion is go to Preston Silcox's go to Preston Silcox's uh, Facebook page and share that post. In fact, share uh, I can't copy the link. never mind. all right so I can't just I was going to copy a link and put it in but anyway, doesn't matter. go to Preston Silcox. it's the first post on his timeline. Share the post. It's a really good post, and it goes right along with what we're discussing tonight. Don't call evil good. Don't call good evil. Don't take pleasure in these things, nor the people that do them, even if that pleasure is only keeping your keeping your social status. Let's speak out. Let's preach the word and be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Folks, that's all I've got here. Thank you so much for your encouragement. Thank you so much for everything you do for me. Be sure and like the the, the stream, share the stream, share Preston's um, post, and subscribe to the Cogitations podcast. God bless you, and we will catch y'all on the flip side.